Hello, everyone, and welcome to Youth Positively Speaking. My name is Paige Ewing, and I work at Prevention Resources as the Multimedia Specialist for Positive Youth. Prevention Resources is a nonprofit located in New Jersey that is dedicated to promoting health and wellness of individuals, families, and community through education, collaboration, advocacy, and treatment. As always, I have with me Erin Cohen, the Project Coordinator of Positive Youth. Hello, I'm Erin, and the Positive Youth Initiative focuses on building countywide capacity to reduce substance misuse for youth ages 9 to 20 here in Hunterdon County. So today we are joined by Penny Triumpho and Karen Whitaker. So welcome, Karen. Please introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, everybody. I'm Karen. I work in Prevention Resources with Erin, uh, Penny, and Paige, and I'm also the clinical director as well as the co-CEO. And welcome, Karen, and also welcome, Penny, and introduce yourself as well. Hi, I'm Penny Triumpho. I work for the Harvest Family Success Center, which is a division of Prevention Resources, and I'm happy to be here today. So today we are going to be talking about something that's very common, but also up and coming in the prevention world called ACEs, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, And this is something that's really important when we talk about our prevention work and protecting our youth in our community. Um, And so we're really, really excited to have both Penny and Karen here today to kind of talk about what are ACEs, what can we look for, and then as community members and as teachers, parents, just people who are around youth, what can we do to not only prevent ACEs, but if we encounter a student who might be having them, what can we do to support those students? So typically we, you know, we have youth on our podcast, but today we decided not to have any youth on since we're talking about um, traumatic events that happen in childhood. We didn't want to have kids on and talk about that. So that's why we just decided to have Penny and Karen as our experts without our youth today. You know, and that's really important as somebody who works with youth all the time is because we don't know what, what's in a person's background. Sometimes they disclose it, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it can be very triggering and could be, you know, a, be a secondary trauma for them. So that's a really good decision when you have a topic like this. Uh, you know, I'm going to go back because Penny just shared something with me too, is that we both have been taking different trainings on this, is that now it's, if you're actually calling it cases, which is positive and, and adverse, um, you know, experiences, because it, there's also a lot of positive, and that goes back to what we're going to talk about later on prevention strategies as well. So Karen, could you give us a little bit of like an overview of what ACEs is? So, you know, really ACEs is refers to traumatic events that happen, that happen in a youth's life. We generally between the ages of zero and 17. And trauma is very subjective. I think that's something people don't think that they think of trauma as experiencing, you know, seeing somebody die or seeing, you know, a car accident or being, you know, in a natural disaster. And those are kind of the things that we see on the news all the time. But I think the one thing we don't recognize, I think a lot of times I have parents understand, and Penny, you probably do too, is it's very subjective. What is trauma for one person may not be traumatic for the other and vice versa. So that's really, really critical as well. I think that's a really great point, Karen, because you really can't know how somebody's going to react to something. So someone may experience something and be able to just thrive from it, and then it could cripple someone else. And it can be, and sometimes parents with all the best of intentions can say, we'll get over it, right? They will see it as they will minimize something that is very traumatic to a young person's brain. And by minimizing it, what's going to happen? The person's going to shut down. The more they shut down and don't talk about it, then they're going to be disassociated from the family or their parent or their caregiver. 
So it really has a very domino effect as well when we shut a person down from speaking. And having- so can we talk about a little bit, Penny and Karen, will you explain to everyone what the really the different types of ACEs are? Because I know that there's kind of different categories like abuse, there's neglect, there's this household dysfunction. Can you expand on that and talk a little bit about that? So, um, you know, going back to what was said earlier about it being subjective, I think one thing that um, is in the forefront of our minds when we're dealing with families here too, is that you hear all the time, well, they were raised, I was raised in that same family. So you have siblings that lived in the same household and the trauma, um, the experiences are all uh, internalized differently by each person. And because each person also has their own lives outside of that family unit. So if something happens within the family unit and it happens to every sibling, they see a parent pass away, for instance, that doesn't mean that that one of the siblings doesn't have another outlet for support to build resiliency so that another sibling might not have. So you can have two completely different reactions in the same household with um, having something happen within their household. Um, and I think in particular with neglect, you see all different ranges of neglect as being um, one of the ACEs that comes to the forefront so often. And I think that also influences things. Parents that are really trying and are really making a huge effort, but you might see food insecurity in the home, that's gonna have a completely different uh, effect on the children than another kind of neglect. Mm-hmm. So, um, or abuse. So, you know, it's very um, individualized for each person that is dealing with the problems that are, are coming up in their family. But um, you're also going to see completely different reactions. And as those children grow, you're going to see, you're going to see things manifest that are going to be different in each person because of what they've experienced as a child. And to add what Penny said, um, you know, she talked a lot about abuse and neglect, and we know abuse is physical, emotional, um, <coughs> and sexual neglect um, as well. But the other ones we want to talk about is household dysfunction, substance abuse, very big one, domestic violence, huge one, um, mental illness, uh, divorce. Again, I do co-parenting all the time, and I would say divorce is painful, but how you manage it is generally much more painful. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I have two very tough cases right now, and the parent kids are stuck in the middle. Um, another one is incarcerated relative. We know is a very high risk factor for ACEs. And we should mention really that ACEs are very common. So mm-hmm. when we were looking into the research ourselves, you know, 61% of adults who are surveyed had at least mm-hmm. one type of ACE. And then nearly one in six reported that they had four or more. So ACEs are very, very common. Even somebody who has grown up in a happy, healthy home could have ACEs as well. It's very common for them. Absolutely. I mean, when you talk about the, the incidence of ACEs with mental illness and domestic violence and um, substance use, it's like amplified three or four times than the general population. And suicide as well, suicide attempts. Um, it's, it, you know, you're going to continue to see the effects of this throughout people's lives. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think they are linked to a lot of chronic health issues. So people who have these um, 
issues as children grow up and then they have these chronic issues, which can be, you know, health related. It can go into, you know, jobs. It can be just in any relationship altogether. And so when we're working with youth, um, you know, if we come across a youth who we think is, you know, having some sort of problem at home or some sort of issue, what would be the steps to say, like, to evaluate that young person to see if they have these ACEs? Well, I think you always have to look at what the risk and protective factors are in one's life, right? We hear it all the time, but it's so true and it's it's, it's as um, relevant now as it was X number of years ago. So I think trying to, um, because everybody has some risk factors and some protective, we always want to see the protective factors balance, you know, really, we don't want to see a balance, we want to see them really in the forefront. So trying to figure that out and what, some things we can do is if there's not a lot of protective factors, you know, there's family protective factors, which, which we can only really impact if the family's really invested in change and willing to seek help and come to therapy. But there's also community effect, community ones. What you guys do, right? Just inclusion, making a person who may be socially isolated, that has a parent that's absent, that getting them involved at a community level is a, is a wonderful protective factor. And you want to add to it? Uh, yeah, I, just that I think right in the beginning, we need to understand and whether this is, um, you know, a teacher at school, um, someone at the Sunday school location, a babysitter, I think we all kind of need to um, take a step back and understand what ACEs are. This, this has been a long time coming. The, the original study came out in 1990. So it has been a slow rollout and it's only really now gaining a lot of traction because of all the research of what is going to happen what's most likely to be issues with these, these children as they grow up. And it's so important that these kids, um, that their issues are recognized. Mm -hmm. So that child acting out in class, um, you know, what's behind that? Uh, what's behind that behavior? And let's look a little deeper because sometimes we have the ability, but we just don't understand what's going on with that child. And it's easy to dismiss oh, that he's so rambunctious and not say what's behind the behavior because when you really look into it, you can say, okay, the behavior, you know, is not exceptional, but that child is still exceptional. And if the behavior is, is an, uh, you know, a cry for help, um, you know, acting out or whatever the situation it happens to be, you know, our job is to step in and try to build up that child's protective factors so that there's resiliency that that child is going to need to beat some of this and to beat those, you know, oh, you're going to be so much more likely to do this, 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 and this and have these issues when you're older. Let's catch them when they're young and say, yeah, we see there's issues. Let's build up those protective factors to help build the resiliency they need to overcome the ACEs that they already have. We might not be able to stop the ACEs from coming, someone's passing away, someone has mental illness, all very, very common, um, you know, ACEs. However, we certainly can help build up that child's resiliency. And that's the key is helping that Absolutely. child before they're an adult with all these issues. So Penny, I'm really glad that you were talking about that because 
Um, one analogy that I heard with prevention, you know, we're in the prevention world here. And I love this analogy where they talk about the kid in the river. There's a kid floating in the river. Let's jump in and save the child. So you get out of the river, you've saved this child and here comes another one. And you jump back in the river and you save that child. And then all of a sudden you go, hmm, what's happening upstream that's causing these children to come down the river? So I love this approach now that seems to be catching um, you know, people are saying, okay, yeah, this is a great idea. We need to go back and look at why this is happening and try to prevent it in the first place. So of course you can't prevent everything. There is poverty. There could be parents incarcerated, but what can we do to help children before the problems happen? I, I just want to add, and I'm kind of talk about resiliency. That could be another whole podcast topic. And you probably have that plan because resiliency is the key to so much of it. The ability to bounce back from an adverse experience. It won't happen like snapping your fingers, but that is so huge. And when we do a lot of our parenting work, we do a lot of stuff on, on resiliency. What is resiliency? And you know, a lot of times parents probably intuitively might know it, but in talking about it and giving them examples of what people can do makes a really big difference. And when we're talking about substance issues, you know, there's a lot of research out there that shows that the more ACEs you have, the more prone you are to substance issues, whether it's with prescription drugs, whether it's alcohol, tobacco, and, you know, trying to figure out ways to cope that are not with substances, you know, being resilient and coping strategies. You know, if kids are seeing family members, I mean, it's that whole cycle, right? If you are seeing families, um, if you're seeing your parents drinking or using drugs to kind of cope with, you know, the situations they're in, then you're likely going to do that as well as a child. Or if you see that cycle of violence, you know, if your parents are fighting and that's how you see how people deal with conflict, then that's what you're going to do as well. So we need, you know, teaching this resiliency and coping skills, you know, and it can be tough when you're in a household with, you know, neglect or dysfunction, you know, going on. And we know that um, ACEs, just like substance substance misuse as well as mental illness, is intergenerational in nature unless there's intervention done. You know, that intervention, and as Penny said the earlier, the better. But without that intervention, this is just this history repeats itself on, um, you know, generation after generation. It really does. And I have to go back to something you said earlier about substance use. We do a lot of, we're a licensed agency here, and we do a lot of work with substance use, misuse, and addiction. And one thing I've learned, especially with young people, is you have to scratch the surface. You know, it's so easy to look at the surface while this person smoking marijuana, this person's underage drinking, or this person is experimenting over here. Why are they, right? It's so easy to just be punitive and go, okay, that's wrong. And there has to be a consequence. I'm not saying that there isn't, but I think the, the move now with uh, drug court, which we're trying to get recovery, called recovery court, is more about kind of a treatment approach. Why? Are these people and I remember this one story that's very poignant to me. He was a senior and a good track. He was smoking smoking marijuana very regularly, very. And in the beginning, he was kind of closed down. And getting to talk to him, scratching the surface, he talked about how um, his parents fought all the time. They hated each other. His dad was cold. There was no no connection. So I said, "Let's bring your dad in." And his dad grounded him forever. And this kid's going on eighteen, right? And when I met the father, I thought, "Well, I understood." why he was self-medicating. And I, I don't mean that in a cavalier way at all. He was dismissive to his son. There was no attachment. He was uh, ridiculing him. He was mocking him. 
it was his son's way of coping. So what we tried to do then, again, how, how do we deal with that? Look at the future. You're 18. You can choose shortly. You're going to be away at school. You can choose what relationship you have with your parents. You know, and that parent will probably have a long-term, you know, estranged relationship, I would guess. And not that that's a good thing, but looking how he was being treated was also a very terrible thing. So I think scratching below the surface and not looking at just, okay, somebody's using a substance, why are you? I've heard so many people who have had issues with substance use talk about trauma. And it really, really um, speaks volumes because people are just trying to deal with it, you know? And so, you know, I think a lot of times too, and getting off topic a little bit because, but I have a lot of um, empathy for people who have substance use issues because I do believe that most of them are just trying to like figure life out and, and manage and just go day to day instead of just looking at them and thinking like they need to be in jail or they're a bad person. I really just truly feel like what you're saying, figuring out why they're, they're doing this. And we tend to clump them all together. I think the general community that's less educated on the issue of addiction tends to clump anybody that's associated with drugs. And the people that are dealing with drugs are the people that we really need to focus on, right? They're, they, they're purely, they don't care about people's lives. It's all about money. People that are using are generally using because that's their coping mechanism. And yeah. the goal of treatment is to help them figure out an alternative coping mechanism. And that usually means that we're going to be unearthing some trauma in their life and helping them to bring that to some resolution. So it's always a fun. Yeah. I think also, you know, the understanding that um, we need to all uh, address is that trauma um, for especially these these young kids that is pain that is hurt that is insecurity and they're young and they're still being led by their families their school um, you know their relatives as they get older and there's more um, and you know they can branch off on their own then you see them go to self-medicating because they're looking to cover and mask that pain. And as they're looking to do that, they're going to go to substance abuse. They're going to go to, you know, hopefully, for, you know, they'll, they'll go to get help for that. But to catch them before that's an issue, wouldn't that be wonderful if we understood more about ACEs and we were able to help them when they were younger? So when they were older, they weren't looking to mask the pain from the trauma that they experienced as, as young adults, you know, young children. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Erin, your analogy of, of starting upstream, too often in our world, we wait until there's a full-throat full addiction or there's, you know, a, a mental health issue that just is really exacerbated. So we're not upstream enough, which is what, where our heart is, is prevention, which is upstream. Right. And, and when you think about communities putting money into programs, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of people talk about money, right? There's not money for this. There's not money for this. But if you put money upstream, yes. then you're not using the money downstream and you're saving money probably in the long run. Because when you're talking about people who, you know, um, Something with food insecurity you were talking about before, Penny, right? If you have food insecurity, if you can have programs that give people healthy food, and so you're putting that money in at the beginning, and then you're saving on medical costs 
in the, you know, later on with like heart disease and obesity and things like that. So, you know, if we can continue to look at that, then I think that it makes it worth it. Right. And, and I do feel like ACEs is very popular now. It's people are talking about it more and, and people are realizing that this is like a public health approach that, you know, would be beneficial and policymakers, the people that are making these decisions for our communities are starting to say, oh, okay. Yeah. Childhood trauma that does affect things. Let's, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, kind of going off the analogy of, you know, the upstream downstream, it's like when everybody is just going down the stream and there's no protective factors or there's no programs in place, people are, you know, you're not going to be able to save everybody in that river and they're going to go down a really, really dark path that, you know, could even result in death. And so by putting in these protective factors, by, you know, doing these upstream measures, whether it's having a local food pantry, having after school programs, supportive programs, you know, life skills is something that we have here at Prevention Resources, teaching students how to cope and building resiliency. It makes it so much easier when somebody gets past that, you know, thing that we put up upstream makes it so much easier to help them later on because you're not overwhelmed with, you know, all these people struggling really, really difficultly with all these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just so important that we have these prevention programs, um, that we go into schools and we're teaching kids really young. You know, a lot of people get a little nervous when you're like, oh, you're teaching, you know, anger management and conflict management and all this stuff to fourth graders. And it's like, well, yeah, they're little people with big emotions Mm -hmm. and they need to learn how to build those skills young. So the earlier we can do it, the better. And Penny, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, at the Harvest Family Success Center, you guys do such amazing work over there. Will you talk to us a little bit about some of the programs that you do that are helping our community members here in Hunterdon County? Um, well, you were mentioning before about, um, we were talking about food insecurity and we do run a weekly produce distribution. So, um, you know, a good portion of that is with the theory there that we have, um, families that are low income that are not eating healthy, because if you are on a limited budget, you're not going to the shop rate and walking down the, um, produce aisle, you're going to hit macaroni and cheese and pasta and rice. So there's, a big gap in what families can afford to purchase and what they should be purchasing. Mm -hmm. And so the free produce distribution allows them to come and stretches their their dollar, their budget for their groceries. All of that is wonderful. But what we're really aiming to do is to change the eating habits of the low-income families in our community, because as these children grow up and they're eating, you know, food that is uh, boxed, prepared, you know, food that's been donated to them, to the food pantry, as they continue to eat in a fashion that is not healthy, then of course you see when they're 40, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, um, you know, the list goes on and on. And the chronic illnesses not only are going to, you know, be with them the rest of their lives, but guess what? Now that's how they're going to feed their children because that's how they grew up. So we're trying to break the cycle of that. Um, we also run parenting classes, co-parenting classes, anger management classes, women's support groups, um, and then also just healthy outlook um, programs to um, 
we do chair yoga, we do a lot of meditation classes and a lot of programs where um, people can get together and then we have guest speakers come in that teach about all different kinds of just healthy, everything from you know, colon health to the next month, it's going to be, um, you know, mindful meditation and uh, stress reduction, just ways to keep people healthier. And, you know, the whole goal here too is focused around keeping that family unit healthy and your family unit, one family is gonna look different than another family. It's gonna look different than another family. Our goal is to make sure that those families are as healthy as possible. So anything that we can do to get to that point um, and help those families, that's what we're looking to do. We just had a wonderful Father's Day program where dads could come. We had tools out, hammers, all the, that with all kinds of kits the kids could make. Um, we have library, the library comes in and does programs for us as well. We have robotics and Lego. Now that COVID is over, really looking to start back up with a lot of our hands-on activities for the I kids. Over yet, so. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it's I mean, getting I better. Wishful thinking, getting, but, um, it's so better. hard to do some of the children's programs virtually. So really looking forward to trying to get the kids back in when that's safe and feasible because um, the kids love the interaction. We try to engage them in STEM activities and low-income families do not have the opportunity that many families have to say, I'm going to send my child to the Princeton Robotics Camp. Well, right. if you're a low-income family, that is an option for you, but you can come here and do robotics. So we're always looking to make sure that that family is doing as, as well as possible and help them wherever we see gaps in services in the community. I just want to add one thing. I love about, it. I want to add one thing about the parenting programs. We are funded by the county to do the parenting programs in Huntington County. And as Penny said, we do individual, we do small group, we do large group, we do co-parenting. Um, and I think that's really key to ACEs and the prevention strategies because children have a sense of attachment and belonging. Um, are much more likely to uh, manage their ACEs if there's something traumatic did occur in their life, um, as well as you know teaching parents the importance of uh, good communication, modeling how we manage our anger, um, having being consistent, setting rules and limits because we know that when kids are in a safe and secure environment, they thrive. When they're in an inconsistent environment, they flounder. So, you know, sometimes you say to parents, you know, having having that those limits is sometimes people see that as punitive, but no, this is what kids need as we're evolving and growing and our brains are developing. You can't just have this unstructured environment because it makes us feel very unsafe inside. When we feel unsafe, what do we do? Right? Fight or flee. We, you know, we don't function at our highest. So it's really the parenting classes are hugely important. We are embedding the principles of addressing ACEs through all these programs. I'm always amazed to hear all the stuff that you all are doing and it just warms my heart to whenever I see the programs you're doing because I know they're helping so many people. It's fabulous because you're really building those protective factors and teaching the skills that are necessary to maybe break some of these cycles and you know help with you know like the food and things like that. Well, I just want to say thank you so much, Karen, for coming on. Thank you so much, Penny, for coming on, for talking about ACEs, for telling us about Harvest um, Family Success Center. For more information about ACEs, please visit our website at njprevent.com forward slash positive youth. Um, and to see more and learn more about the Harvest Family Success Center, please visit their website, which is harvestfsc.com. And thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time for more youth, positively speaking.